Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Okay. Um, The theme we've been on is the way of kings. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced the, the idea (laughs) <laughs> that uh, and kind of tied it into the word of the Lord that the Lord's been speaking to us as a church and as a movement um, and how um, the whole book of Samuel, which I, I use the term the book of Samuel because originally there was just one Samuel. There wasn't first or second Samuel. There was just one. It was a continuous story. It was probably not written by Samuel because half the book that was written was after he died. So we don't know exactly who the author was, but we know that the scripture has been refined seven times, according to the psalmist, and uh, the Lord has purified his word. And so we know it's the living, breathing word of God. And one of the fascinating major concepts of the book of Samuel is the idea of the word of the Lord. Another one, of course, was the whole idea of kingship and kings and the kingdom. Now, I want to do a little little history lesson. 450 to 500 years, and all the scholars agree on that range, was when Moses and Joshua were leaving the exodus of Egypt and coming in to the promised land. And then there was that 40 years of wandering. About 450 years later, there's this kid who happens to be of a tribe of Levi whose mother has prayed for his birth, Hannah, and Samuel's born, and he's given to Eli, the high priest, and he's being raised in the high priest's house because he was prayed for and she promised to give him back to the Lord, and she kept her promise. And it says that the word of the Lord was rare and visions were few. So this week, I, this, this week, I really want to focus on this idea of a word from the Lord. And I really want to make it as practical as I can. But I want us to start um, with the first idea, the words of king, the word of kings. And uh, Ecclesiastes 8, 4 says this, Where the word of a king is, there is power. When we saturate ourselves in the word of God, our words begin to reflect God's words. If you want authority in your life, begin to saturate yourself and digest and eat the most authoritative word in the world, and you will begin to find yourself with authority you never thought you would have. I don't care who you are. I don't care how low on the totem pole you are. I don't care what your IQ is or isn't. You know, one of my favorite heroes is a little-known monk known as Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence probably got voted the least likely to to succeed in his monastery. 
But what Brother Lawrence did continuously was meditate on the Word of God, which he was horrible at memorizing from what I understand. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a teacher. But he was two things. He meditated on the Word of God, and he prayed. And he fellowshiped with God. And do you know heads of states and the top clergy of, their, of, the, of Europe would come and visit him because of his relationship with the Lord? When we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, our words begin to be his words. And so I want to just read you this text out of the last part of 1 Samuel 3. The first part introduced the fact that the word of the Lord was rare. And Samuel grew. This is chapter 3, verse 19 and 21. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And I want you to listen to this. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we see the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord revealed by the word of the Lord. God took a man... A boy, and he took that boy and he made him a prophet to the nation. And this is 450 years to the point where the nation of Israel kind of had become a people that just didn't believe in the word of the Lord and didn't receive the word of the Lord, didn't know how to get the word of the Lord, and didn't have the word of the Lord. And what we see in the book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles which is just the story of all the kings of Israel for about a 450, 500-year period. Those books covered that, that epoch in the life of Israel. And what you discover is that beginning with this boy that heard the voice of the Lord, the Lord begins to release what we now call, in the Old Testament, uh, a lot of people refer to it the law and the prophets. This is the part of the prophets where the prophets come. And they begin to be everywhere. And we find later on that there's, a whole, there's schools of the prophets. And we've all heard of Elijah and Elisha, and we know that they probably came out of those schools and begin to lead those schools. And they begin to train God's people how to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, because we have a lot of young people and we have a lot of old people that also don't know exactly how to discern God's will, I want to get real practical today because we're going to have a little bit of the school of the prophets today. Um, but I first want to build kind of a, a, a guardrail system and... Um, this guardrail system is not one that I invented. Uh, it's actually called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, uh, not because John Wesley invented it, the founder of Methodism, but he used to teach on these principles 
as a way to discern the wisdom of God. And let me, uh, let me uh, just look, let's look at it. Now, we, need to, we all are in a place where we need to discern God's will for our lives. Now, part of God's will for your life has so much less about what you do than who you become. I, I, just, I just think, you know, we're Americans. What are you going to do with your degree in engineering? Instead of what kind of person are you going to be and what kind of engineer are you going to be that reflects the kingdom of God and His nature? I mean, that's, that's just the way. And so we start talking the way to God the way Americans talk to us. And God doesn't answer those kind of questions. He's not interested in talking back to us when we talk in those kind of... That's why we have to get our mind renewed. So one of the ways we begin to frame... I call it the railroad tracks of God's will. You know, when you get those wheels in a railroad track, they don't come off. It's just almost impossible. Now, when I'm driving down the road in my truck, I can weave and I can... I don't text... I do look at my phone sometimes, and I put it down. I resist the temptation. I hope you do too. But my track doesn't look very locked in. What we're talking about is not God's specific voice here. This is not the voice of the Lord, okay? This is the framework for the voice of the Lord. And, of course, the foundation of it is the Scripture, and that's why we have it as the biggest, the authority of the Scripture is the foundation. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not going to go into a great deal of discussion about that because I think we all know that in this house, the authority of the Word of God is supreme. But the Ingalls did not see in the Bible anywhere that they needed to go to Mobibia. Namibia, excuse me. Nowhere in the Bible did it say that. Uh, I didn't see Brenda's name anywhere in the Scripture. I did read that it was good for a man not to be alone. Okay? So, you know, I kind of knew that Scripture. That was kind of a guardrail. For the most part, it's good not to be an eccentric old bachelor. Okay, uh, that's the way I interpreted that. So I, I, uh, the first and foremost test of the way to discern the will of God, first of all, is we have to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. We are a people of the Spirit. See, I think because all of us, one are Americans, and most of us are Gentile Americans, and if you're Jewish, you probably didn't get this, but there was such an, a, an excitement, almost a, the way we kind of look at the second coming, they were looking at the coming of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, the way we do the second coming. And what they were saying is that God himself would come and live inside of us. And we would begin to be the, the ark that they so uh, adored and cherished. 
And in fact, we see that Eli was so concerned about what happened to the ark. And so they realized that when the Holy Spirit came into them, everything would change. And they kind of associated it with the Messianic coming, but they, they kind of missed some of the main points, and so do we. When the Holy Spirit comes, He compels us, and He speaks to us, but His primary way He speaks is through the Scripture. So that's the test of the cornerstone of, Christian, of Scripture, recognizing the incidental from the established principles. How many of you know that there are incidental stories in the Bible? And then there are established patterns in the Bible. You know an incidental uh, pattern in the Bible is the Lord did not want a king, but he allowed for it. So were kings his will or not? That's not a trick question. That's an honest-to-God question that theologians to this day still debate. So you can't go around building doctrine, rock-solid doctrine, on the incidentals. What we do know over and over again is God said, I have appointed my king. That we can build a doctrine around, which we do. But, you know, if anybody wants to declare they're a king and you need to really listen to them, you can just kind of go, well, that's just incidental. That's not a biblical principle. I need to listen to the king. That, it's, it's that simple. We, people get all confused about spiritual authority. Uh, honor the king of kings, and he usually will use some people that have been proven who will advise you but not insist that you follow their advice no more than God advises you and insists you follow his. Do you realize that? People worry about spiritual authority all the time, and I just say, I, the, 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 the potentate of the universe has yet to make me do anything. He wants free will offerings. That's the principle. When you, you should listen to that advice. You should heed that advice. You, you can only do that if you've got humility in your heart. But people don't go around forcing you to do it. If they do, that's illegal. All Scripture is God-breathed and is for, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, the next test over here is the test of the counsel from God's people past and present. How many of you know that Christianity didn't start the day you got born again? Everybody realize that? How many of you understand, if you're like most of us in this room, kind of lean toward being Protestants, that it didn't start in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door? Christianity didn't start when Patrick won Ireland for Christ as a Catholic monk. Christianity didn't start with Augustine 
Christianity started on the day Jesus rose from the dead. And so what we have is he has, we have 2,000 years of history, and a lot of it has proven faulty, and some of it has proven wonderful. I just, I I was, uh, part of our discussion today, maybe if I get to it, is about the whole subject of humility. And I found an incredible prayer of humility. And I was reading this thing and I was going, man, who, who wrote this thing? And I go down and my, my little religious antenna got tweaked a little bit when I saw that it was a Roman Catholic cardinal that had written it. And I thought, okay, brother, you knew the Lord. You, nobody could write that and didn't know the Lord. My point is, there's, you are not the first person to come along and have the idea that we need to meet in houses. You're not the first person to say, we need to have early morning prayer meetings. You're not the first person to think about and be confused by the whole subject of the Trinity. You're just not the first person. So maybe you need to listen to the traditions of the church and how they have vetted and wrestled with so many of these issues. You are not the first person. It's a good guide rail. And when when somebody comes along and says, you know, I don't think Jesus was actually God in the flesh, you can go... And you don't know anything about the Trinity. You just kind of know that, you know, Steve talks about Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and I don't get it, and it's really confusing to me. You can know that somebody has wrestled with this long before you, and the Lord has helped sort these things out. The other test of, of uh, the discernment and guidance of the Lord is the test of converging circumstances, also known as God's providence. And this is, this is a little more subjective. We're, we're moving from the authoritative and the non-subjective up to the very subjective. And so what, what we're talking about is when You get three people in a row over two days saying the exact same thing to you, and they're all total strangers, and you're sitting there going, huh, I think I better pay attention to that. I think I better pay attention to that. And so um, that doesn't mean it's a word from the Lord. It just means you need to have your antenna up. It's the providence of God. We do not, and by the way, I just really want to emphasize something here. I am not advocating that you and I live by circumstances as if that's God kind of just moving us. However, there are times when the Lord literally will arrange events in our life, that's called providence, where he has arranged these events, and if you're spiritually sensitive, you will notice, and you go, Lord, uh, that is the third conversation in a week. I'm going to give you an example. I had... Uh, I had been praying in my business about an, an event. I, I could tell you story after story of all of these things, but this is really very interesting. I had a friend, I was praying about a, a certain opportunity 
that I was looking for, and I had no idea where to find it. And I knew it was like a needle in a haystack. And I had been thoroughly trained in the professional world how to find the needle in the haystack. And I knew I had neither the time nor the resources to, to find that proverbial needle. And I just began to ask the Lord, do you want me to pursue an opportunity like this? And he said, yes. And I'm dealing with a guy who is a trim carpenter, subcontractor, employee of an employee. I mean, he's down at the bottom. He's work, we're working on a project. He's not, he's not a wheeler dealer. He's not he doesn't have an MBA from Harvard. Uh, he pro, you know, my guess is he didn't even graduate from high school. And he says something about a friend of his who know, he knows that has a farm he's thinking about selling. I said, and he was talking about this friend, and he was telling me about how, I think he was telling me about how he used to hunt on the farm and and I was listening to the hunting story, and the Lord, it was like the Lord going, hey, hey, you've been praying, this is that, that deal. I wish I could say I was a really smart market an analyzer. I just listened to the Lord, and I said, oh, by the way, do you have the phone number for your uh, farmer buddy? He goes, yeah, I'll text, text it to you, or I'll send it. I, I don't know if we were doing text in 19. <laughs> I can't remember. Somehow I got the guy's phone number. I called up the farmer. He says, uh, huh, you want to buy it? I go, well, I don't know, maybe. He said, well, it's, I, I want to sell it. And next thing you know, I'm involved in a, in a project that does me very well. That circumstance but you know, I had to go and I had to get a word from the Lord later to confirm it. But that's the way God uses his providences in our lives. And some of us have met our mates through those provid. I wasn't planning to go to the, to that little party after, but I just, you know, I just felt like I, I don't know, there's something and there she was, or there he was, you know, we all hear those stories. All right. The fine final one is the test of common wisdom and reasoning. The Lord definitely gave us a brain. We're not anti-intellectual. We're thinkers. What we know, though, is that our thinking is often marginalized because it's been so influenced by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I talked about last week. <laughs> if, you, if, you're e if all you ever do is eat from that tree which is another way of saying, if all you ever do is consume contemporary media, you probably are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the good part will kill you just as much as the evil part. It is not the source of life. So, but there is a godly wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom and a godly wisdom. Listen to this. This is out of uh, James. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. There, there's a whole, first of all, people that really ought to be listened to aren't going around telling you you need to be listened to them. Because there's a meekness and their conduct speaks loud and clear. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. There's a good sign of someone who may, you know, the terribly ambitious and the terribly uh, bitter, those folks might, you, want, you might want to avoid their wisdom and reasoning. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and literally demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and ever evil practice, every vile practice. But the wisdom that from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reasoning, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. You could just take each one of those virtues that James lists out and just say, when I get advice, I want to listen to someone who is gentle. How many find that the political talking heads are gentle? How many of them are full of mercy? How many of them are reasonable enough to say that their opponents have some good points? You ever notice none of them ever say that? Look, people, this is the way of the world. This is why we have to be so careful about who we're getting common wisdom from. The reason we make foolish decisions as a church is we listen to foolish advisors who are full of bitterness and anger and wrath and we listen to them because we agree with them. And that is foolish because they are not consuming from the tree of life. All right. Now I want to get... So all of this right here, the quadrilateral, the quadrilateral those four components will get you into Raleigh. They will not get you to 4612 Cresta, which is where I live. It won't get you to your home address. It won't get you to, it'll get you within the vicinity, but it will not get you exactly where you need to be. That's why you need to know the voice of the Lord. So the conversation of kings is my next subject matter, and this one I'm going to introduce but I, I'm not going to finish. I'm going to finish it up next week. But let me just say this. The number one conversation a king has is a whisper. And his whisper is with the whisperer. Um, I've got two texts here I want you to, just to read. And he said, hear my words. This is out of Numbers. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I'll speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Now let's look at 1 Kings 19. This is all part of that movement of the voice of the Lord becoming common and he said go out and stand on the mount of the lord and behold the lord passed by and the, 
And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper or a still, small voice. Can I just tell you the only way you and I can really know what the Lord is thinking and what you need to do in your life is you have to hear the voice of the Lord. And I can just, I, I know exactly how some of you, maybe even a majority of you say, feel when I say that. Are you kidding me? I have never heard the voice of the Lord in my life. God doesn't talk to me. And uh, I'm, I'm going to very gently and respectfully disagree with you. And here's why I'm going to say that. Because the very beginning of 1 Samuel starts out. Samuel hears his name. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up. He goes in, he goes into Eli's room, he wakes Eli up, and he says, yes, master, you call for me. Samuel says, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. And the boy Samuel goes back to bed. It happens three times, and, and Eli has kind of a Homer Simpson moment. He says, oh, you know, Sammy, do this for me. When you hear that voice, Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Can I just say that Sammy, Samuel, who became one of the greatest prophets in all of the, the, the word of the Lord began to just pour through this guy. He did not know the voice of the Lord. How many of you know he was hearing the voice of the Lord? I mean, this is like the first real example of how people hear the voice of the Lord. And the, this is a principle. This is not just an incidental incident. Because we have already seen that God speaks face to face with Moses. I speak through riddles and dreams. But with Moses, I speak face to face. And Moses' prayer was that all of God's people would be prophets. And they would have the same kind of encounter every day. And I've got one more verse for you before I close. And here's the verse. And it's the authority no less than Jesus. And here's what he said. My sheep hear my voice. I mean, there's a lot more to that verse, but that phrase is just, that is an, that's, an, that's an assertion that Jesus made that you and I hear the voice of the Lord. Here's, here's, here's what happens, though. You have to be taught how to listen. Jesus also said to us, be careful how you listen. What's the difference between listening and hearing? I mean, have you ever, I mean, there is a, 
Webster's Dictionary definition. To listen is to pay attention. To hear is to perceive sound. Samuel heard the sound of his name. He wasn't he didn't have any kind of inclination or training on how to pay attention to that sound. And so next week what we're going to do is we're going to begin to do really a school of prophets, but we have to come to this it's so the number one way you begin to hear the voice of the Lord within the framework of the quadrilateral so that you don't get kind of weird and spooky and goofy and all the stuff. Oh, I heard God. You know, when people say, well, I heard God and it sounds really foolish, it usually is. If it, if it betrays one of those guardrails, you know it's, you know, I, you know, my girlfriend and I are living in sin together, but we just think it's God's will. No, it isn't. That's just dumb, and you'll probably, if you do get married, you'll end up being divorced because that's what the statistics say. That's the common wisdom. Oh, well, we're going to be the exception because God, you know, we, we, we know, we feel his love for us. No, that's just, no, you didn't hear God. You heard you. You heard that pizza you ate last night. God is not speaking to you. And I'm using kind of an extreme First of all, there's a gentleness to anybody that says they hear the voice of the Lord because after you've heard the voice of the Lord, you can't be arrogant. He stops quick. He will not talk to the arrogant, and he will stop talking to the, those who were humble and become arrogant. People that hear say they've heard the voice of the Lord give the voice of the Lord a dirty name. So... We have, have this, this framework, but can I just say, because that actually happens, it doesn't mean the Lord doesn't want to speak to you. See, this is part of the, the core of the gospel. Emmanuel, he, he's not just tattooing GPS coordinates onto your life so you can kind of get this salvation deal when you go to heaven. He wants a relationship with you. And guess what? It is impossible for friends and lovers not to have two-way communication. It is impossible. Ask any psychiatrist, married person, or friend in this room. And ask them, have you been the only person to ever talk in the, conver- in the, in the relationship? In fact, what happens when one of you is the only one talking? What happens? That relationship doesn't last very long, does it? That's a little marital advice. Okay. We're going to call it quits for... I'm looking forward to next week because we're going to teach you how to hear the voice of the Lord and recognize it. This isn't about prophecy. This isn't about a gift of prophecy. This is about you daily learning how to converse with the Lord himself. And if you begin to develop that kind of lifestyle, 
you will find yourself less prone to wander. I think one of the frustrations for so many believers, if they actually haven't been taught how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And he, he does speak, he speaks often, and we need to teach you, uh, if your name in this room is Henry, he wants to speak to you, Henry, and he, wants to, he knows your name. He knows you before you know him. Hey, Henry. Who, who said Henry? The Lord. Hey, Joe. Hey, Edith. Hey, Betty. He knows our name. I want you to do one little spiritual, ancient practice. This is an ancient practice. didn't start with Martin Luther in 1517. It's what a lot of the desert fathers would do. Here's what they would do. They would sit quietly before the Lord after they've meditated on a small bit of text of Scripture. Yeah, musicians, you all can come back up here. And they would just, they would just sit quietly and they would say, Lord, I invite you to speak to me through your Scripture. And then they would just begin to focus on the part of the text that really jumps out at them. And they would begin to scribble what thoughts they begin to have. And that single practice began to reveal to them so much of what God and His nature and His temperament toward them was about. They began to experience true intimacy. It is impossible for any of us to have intimacy with someone who only talks one way. If you only talk to the Lord and He never talks, and I will just tell you this, this about the Lord, and I'm going to start next week. The Lord is the most humble person in the universe who doesn't need to be humble. Because he's never done anything wrong, and he is the greatest. Unequivocally. And yet, his temperament is humility. And he's attracted to those of us that kind of start acting like him. So this week, I want you to just open up some scripture, and I just want you to write down some of the impressions. That's your, that's your homework. And I want you to begin to listen. Not here, but here. All right, let's all rise. Lord Jesus. We do believe you that our, your sheep do hear your voice. So this, this week, Lord, we just want, I just pray for every single person in this room, that, that every single person in this room, 
will renew their personal relationship with Jesus and begin to just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. I'm listening, Lord. Lord, we just promise we'll shut up. (laughs) We'll, We'll close our mouth and we'll just listen. We will not just hear, we'll listen. Lord, bless this, your people. Those who have ears, let them hear. If you have any kind of need that is immediate or pressing, if it's a family need, if it's a physical need, if it's a a, a struggle you're dealing with, some of you may have a, a place where you really just need to come back to Jesus. Some of you may have never really come to Jesus before. You can't come unless he calls your name. But if you hear him, respond, please. We'll have elders and life group leaders come up front. And they'll be praying for anyone who'd like prayer.